0: Take your Bible this morning, if you would, please, and turn with me to the table of contents. (laughs) You have one of those. It should be at the beginning. It'll look like any other table of contents. So take your Bible and turn with me to the table of contents, please. The table of contents. Now, I want you to notice that in your Bible, it's divided into two major sections. There's an Old Testament, which is a little bit longer. And then the New Testament, which is a little bit shorter. Today our text is going to be in the second book of the New Testament. You'll see it begins with Matthew. And then the next book is given the name Mark. And you should have a page number there. So turn with me to the Gospel of Mark in your Bible. And... The books of the Bible are composed in chapters, and so we're going to be in the 8th chapter. There will be a big number usually at the beginning of each of those chapters. So find the 8th one of those, and it will say at the top what chapter number you're in. Um, it will say at the top um, two numbers, Mark 8 in this case, and then a colon, and the second number is going to be the verse. So turn there to Mark chapter 8. It's the big number, and then the little number will be number 31. Mark chapter 8 and verse number 31. say, well, Brother Jesse, we know how the Bible works. (laughs) But have you ever had anybody explain it to you in church? Mark chapter 8, verse number 31. For years and years and years, one of the cliches that I heard preachers use all the time, that I heard just frequently, over and over and over again growing up, was this statement. See if you recognize this. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you're willing to pay. Some of y'all have heard that, right? Sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you're willing to pay. And as somebody who is an experienced sinner and as a curious onlooker in other people's disasters, I can say to you that that is true. And I can tell you that's true from what the Bible tells us about the sinners there, too. Take the story of Samson. All Samson wanted was a head rub from Delilah. But what he get? He got a haircut in the devil's barber shop, didn't he? Sin took him further than he wanted to go. Kept him longer than he wanted to stay. And it cost him more than he was willing to pay. And that's true for any number of us and any number of sinners. We all have those kind of stories. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you more than you're willing to pay. But that's also true about Jesus. Now, Jesus will not take you the same direction sin will take you. Jesus will not hold you in bondage the way that sin will hold you in bondage. And Jesus certainly is not going to cost you the high stakes consequences that sin will cost you. But yes, Jesus will take you further than you intended to go. Jesus will keep you longer than maybe you intended to stay. And Jesus may just cost you more than you really intended to pay. And that's what he's going to get at here in these verses in Mark chapter number 8 and verse number 31. Let's read them together. Mark eight thirty-one, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. People that know the Bible a whole lot better than I do will tell you that the gospel of Mark is probably based upon the personal recollections and remembrances of Simon Peter. That is to say that when Mark sat down to write his gospel, which is the oldest and the first of the four accounts of the life of Jesus we have in the Bible, It's likely that Mark sat down with Simon Peter, whom we know that he knew from Acts chapter 12. And he probably sat down with a pen and a piece of paper at a coffee shop somewhere or whatever they did. And he said, Peter, tell me what it was like to follow Jesus. What was it like to know him and to hear him? What was it like to be present? Peter, what was it like when you and the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee? And a great storm comes up and Jesus is asleep in the back part of the ship. But when you come to Jesus in a panic, Jesus steps out on the front of the ship and he says, Peace, be still. And the lake becomes as smooth as glass. Peter, what was that like? Peter, what was it like to see Jesus converse with a man who has within him an army of demons and to hear Jesus speak the word and drive the demons out of that man and into all of those hogs? Peter, what was that like? Peter, what was it like? to see Jesus walk into the bedroom of a 12-year-old girl who had just passed away, whose body was still warm, and to see Jesus grab her by the hand and say, Little girl, arise. And to see that girl who had just died (gasps) breathe again and come back to life. Peter, what was that like? And Peter tells him. But when they get to this day, described in Mark chapter number 8, I wonder how Peter felt about this. Because this day, in one moment, Peter experiences what is really the high point of his entire discipleship journey this far, and also one of the lowest moments of his life. Because in a moment, Peter says the most brilliant, astonishing, dazzling thing he could ever say about Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he says the most ignorant, foolish, even satanic thing he possibly could say about Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples, I am going to Jerusalem. There I will be rejected, I will suffer, I will be crucified, and I will rise again. And Peter rebukes him for it. And then Jesus rebukes Peter Peter for that rebuke. And then Jesus uses that moment to teach the crowd and the disciples about what it really means to follow him. What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean to take up your cross? What does it mean to lose your life for Jesus. What does it mean to really follow Jesus? And are y'all really sure you want to follow him? Now, I know today that everybody here is pretty much pro-Jesus. At least I hope you are. Like, I know that growing up, there was probably a picture of Jesus hanging up in your mama's kitchen. You know, he's holding a sheep. You know the picture. He's holding this little baby lamb, and he's got his 1980s perm Jesus mullet flapping in the breeze behind him. It looks like he just came out of a shampoo commercial, You're you're for Jesus. You like Jesus in your politics and in your country music like you like sugar in your sweet tea. I get it. Like they talked about Jesus at your wedding and hopefully they're going to talk about him at your funeral. But are you sure you really want to follow him? Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? Because you know he's not what you expect, right? That's the first challenge I see in this passage of Scripture. He is not at all what you expect. One day Jesus asked the disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some think you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah or Elijah. Fair. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter aces this test he hadn't even really studied for. And everybody's stunned that Peter said something brilliant. And then Jesus begins to tell them about what he came into the world to do. In Mark chapter 38, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected and be killed. And when Peter hears that, Peter rebukes Jesus. Now, that is to say that he grabs him, and if you notice the text, he pulls him him off to the side. And Peter, I was afraid to mess with Gary because he still hadn't forgiven me for that. And he gets in Jesus. So you get to play the part of Jesus here. This is a win for you. He gets in Jesus' face, and he says, you will never talk like that again. You will never say that, because as long as I'm around, there's not going to be a cross. And then the Bible says that when Jesus hears that, he looks around and he sees the disciples. And y'all know how it is. There's nothing worse than fighting with somebody you love in public unless you're watching two people who love each other fight in public. And so now you've got this awkward, tense moment, like when the preacher assaults somebody on the front row in church, and everybody's just ready, just, just to explode. What's going to happen next? And he looks at Peter and he says, "Get behind me, Satan." This is a powerful moment, but not to defend Peter, because you know Jesus calls him Satan here, and you can't defend him. But you need to understand that Peter, just like all the rest of the disciples, just like everybody around Jesus in this world, they were all awash in these messianic expectations. They were wanting a savior, they wanted a deliverer. These were poor, marginalized, oppressed people, and they were looking for a hero to come and overthrow their enemies, establish a new golden age in Israel, to be a new kind of leader, a new kind of hero, and a new kind of king. And these men believed Jesus was that king. And to make matters worse for Peter, when Jesus calls himself the son of man, he's not just referring to himself as a son of a man the way I am a son of man, but he's actually putting himself in those verses that Brother Corey just read from Daniel 7, 13, and 14 where Daniel has this prophetic vision that one day some son of man is going to ascend to the throne of God and receive from God a kingdom that will never pass away. That's what the disciples wanted. We want the power and we want the glory. We want the everlasting kingdom because we know that if Jesus is that Messiah, then look, y'all, we got in on the ground floor of this thing. Surely the 12 of us who were the first to follow him there's going to be some sweet cabinet positions for us once Jesus sees his power. I'm not going to be running the DMV down here. I'm going to be like at least Secretary of Fish and Wildlife. This is going to be a good opportunity for me. But think about how different the language of Daniel 7, 13, and 14 is to Jesus' language. The violent language of suffering, of being rejected, and of being It's not what anybody expected. The Messiah was not supposed to go to a cross. The Messiah was supposed to be riding a tank to a throne. Jesus is not what they expected. They thought Jesus was the means to help them achieve success and liberation and freedom. Jesus was their ticket to the good life. Jesus says, no, the purpose of my life is that I would die. And then Peter says, no, I can't, I can't handle that. To which Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. When Jesus says you're acting like the devil, you've screwed up bad. I mean, this text shows us that Jesus is not afraid to rebuke people. And this text shows us that Jesus believed in plain talk. And I appreciate that. But I also think Jesus was nice. And so when Jesus says, you're acting like the devil. That's bad. Look, y'all, I've had some nicknames in my life. I had a boss that called me Lumpy one time for years. And I've had some other nicknames that I I just can't say in church, (laughs) most of which I probably earned. But Jesus ain't ever said, I'm acting like the devil. And what Jesus is saying is, and I want you to hear this, Jesus is saying that Christianity, or even Jesus, without the cross, is hellish. He's saying that the devil has no problem with Jesus as long as there's not a cross. You hear me today. The devil has no problem with Christianity without a cross. As long as we're using Jesus to achieve the life that we always wanted, as long as Jesus is just useful to us, as long as he is the means to achieve and to accomplish and to succeed and to grasp for glory the way Peter was, the devil doesn't mind that one bit. What the devil doesn't want is a Savior on a cross who's not merely giving us the life that we want, but who's laying down his life to give us the life we need. That's what the devil does not want. And so for Peter, when he says, there's not going to be a cross at the end of this story, not only is he speaking like hell itself, but he also just, Jesus says, man, look, you're just hooked up on the things of man and not the things of God. What are the things of men that Peter was so worried about? Same junk we worry about. Money, achievement, success, power, glory. The things we want to use Jesus to obtain, right? The things we want to have Jesus so we can have this other stuff. Jesus says, Peter, if that's all I am to you, then you've misunderstood me completely. Friends, if your understanding of Christianity does not have a cross at the center then whatever you have is not Jesus' vision of Christianity. If your understanding of your relationship to God does not have a crucified, resurrected Savior right at the very heart of it, then whatever you've got is wrong. And it's dangerous. So are you sure you want to follow Him? It's not what you expect. Are you sure you want to follow Him? Because it just might cost you your life. It just might cost you your life. Verse number 34 Jesus calls the crowd and the disciples. He gets everybody together after him and Peter have been going back and forth. And he says to them in verse number 34, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To truly follow Jesus means that we deny ourselves. And that's a problem for me because I really like myself. I really care about me. I've grown attached to me. I like my plans. I like my dreams. I like my desires. I like the way I think. I like the way I do things. But Jesus says that if I'm going to follow Him, if I'm really going to know Him and to walk with Him, then I've got to turn my back on me. Church, I want you to hear my heart today even if you don't consider yourself a part of this church. This is something I believe we need to hear. This expression that Jesus gives us in Mark chapter 8 and verse number 34, from Jesus, this is not Brother Jesse's wild opinion. I've got a few of those, but this is directly from the Lord Jesus. And this is contradictory to the invitation that we think Jesus offers. Because what most of us think Jesus says to us is that you can come to him at any time you feel like it, And you can give your heart to Him or give your life to Him or whatever, whatever, whatever. And then it doesn't matter what happens to you from that point to when you die that you're going to go to heaven forever and so it's all good. So you got your get out of hell free ticket. You've got your eternal fire insurance. And that's a win for you because you get to live like hell but you don't have to go there. Y'all, that ain't what Jesus taught. Now, Jesus did say whosoever will let him come and take of the water of life freely. Jesus did say, come to me all you who are labored and heavy laden. Jesus would say what the Lord says in Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Jesus does invite you to come to him. But Jesus also said in John chapter 6 that no one could come to him unless the Father which had sent him draw them. In other words, it's not that you can't come any time that you want. Your problem is that you are a sinner with a heart turned from God and you don't want to come until he does a work in you that you can't do for yourself. Then you will want to come, and then you will want him. But if he does that work in you, if he gives you a new heart, there's going to be something in you that says, I want to follow Jesus more than I want to follow me. And I'm worried, based upon how we talk to one another, how we treat one another, how we act, worship, and serve the Lord, that we like ourselves a whole lot more than we love him. Now hear me, I know we struggle with sin. I know we fight temptation. I know we live in a world where we are attacked by our flesh and by the devil and by the culture that we live in. But I think that we do not believe what Jesus says here in Mark 8:34. I don't think we've ever heard this invitation. How else could you possibly explain the reason that churches are in the situation they're in? Why else would it be that churches all over the place are filled with people that really don't want to serve Jesus if it's inconvenient? How else could it be that churches that are trying their best to exalt Christ and worship God are struggling to get people who love Jesus in the doors to worship Him? It's because we do not want to deny ourselves. But Jesus says if you're going to follow Him, you are going to give up your life. You're going to say, I will lay down my dreams, I will lay down my hopes, I will lay down my future, I will give up my vision for what I can be. To receive from Jesus his vision for what I ought to be. If you'll come after me, Jesus says, you'll deny yourself and you'll take up your cross and follow me. Now for Jesus to say, take up your cross, that would have landed in these people. And it would have immediately made everybody gasp. Because you didn't talk about crosses in Jesus' day. Jesus is the only reason we do talk about crosses. In Jesus' day, a cross was not a cute tattoo you had on your ankle. It wasn't decoration in a building. The cross was a place where people died. And if somebody was carrying a cross, then that meant that person had no future. If somebody was carrying a cross, they were on their way to die, to be executed. Their life was over. There were no dreams. There was nothing left for them. And Jesus says, if you are really going to come after me, then you have to lay down your life for my sake and for the gospels, in verse number 35, to really find it. Now, Mark 8:35 is a paradox. It's not easily understandable to us. The only way to really live is to stop living. How does that make sense? Maybe I can unravel it for you this way. The Apostle Paul testified in Philippians chapter one and verse number 21, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gay. For him, Jesus was life." And so I'll ask it to you this way: What do you have to have to live? I don't just mean like to survive. I know you have to have food and I know you have to have water and I know you need shelter. and I know you need a few other things like companionships. I know companionship. I know I got all that. But what do you feel like you have to have to live? For me to live is what? For me to live is to be recognized. For me to live is to be noticed. For me to live is what? Jesus would say, and I will tell you today, that if your answer to that for me to live is blank, if your answer to that is not Jesus, then you are not truly alive. You are not really living. You might be breathing to death, and you might be surviving, but you are not really living, not the way Jesus wants you to live. The only way for us to really live is to lay down our lives at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I receive from you the life you want me to have, and I give up the life that I had planned for myself. So that Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. And so it's no longer I who live. This is not my life, but it's Jesus who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. That's what Jesus means in this passage of Scripture. Are you sure you want to follow him? It'll cost you your life. A lot of you have a pretty sweet life plan. You sure you want to lay that down? Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? He cares about your soul. That's the third challenge in this text. Jesus cares about your soul. Verse number thirty-six. Y'all gonna have to pray for me. These little numbers are getting hard to see in this Bible. The closer I get to forty, I think it's verse thirty-six. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? To me that's one of the most powerful challenging questions in all the Bible. For what can a man give? What can a man give in exchange and in return for his soul? If you're pursuing this life and however it may look for you and you get it. What are you going to have if you get all that and you lose your soul? If you get all the money and you get the Lambo and the Bugatti and you get all of the Instagram likes and you get all of the eyeballs on your feed, and you get all of the attention, and you get all the success, and you have the perfect home, and the perfect family, and the Roth IRA, and all the square footage, if you have it all, but you lose your soul, what do you have? Jesus wants you to think through this today, because we do not think about our souls. Now, we think around our souls all the time in our world. We think around them, but we don't think about them. We think about our souls when we talk about things like self-care, right? You need to get away. You need to relax. You need to cut toxic people out of your life. We're talking around our soul, but we're not talking about it. We're talking around our soul when we talk about mental health, therapy, and our attachment issues and all that. That's talking around our soul. Jesus doesn't just talk around your soul. He's talking to you today about your soul, and he wants to know What would you give up your soul to have? What is your soul worth to you? I can tell you today what it's worth to him. What's it worth to you? What would you hold on to and cling to and pursue to leave your soul behind? What would you give in return for your soul? Maybe a more poignant way to ask the question this morning is to ask, what are you giving in exchange for your soul. What are you giving now. In exchange for your soul. Some people. Would rather. Hold on to a grudge. And waller In the bitterness. And anger and resentment. That that grudge gives them. Than have a healthy soul. Some people would cling to a job. That costs them relationships. That costs them their sanity. That robs them of their peace. They'd cling to that while they let their soul go. Some people would cling to a relationship that is poisonous, that is dangerous, that is damaging, that sucks every ounce of joy out of their soul. But they will hang on to it and not give up their soul. How is your soul today? Is your soul at rest in Jesus this morning? Does your soul have the joy of the Lord? Are you experiencing joy unspeakable and full of glory? How is your soul today? I ask you today because I know nobody else has asked you this week, have they? I doubt that ABC 3340 gave you the weather report and then said, and by the way, make sure you take care of your soul. I doubt your boss asked you about it when you had to text him and say, look, I'm running a few minutes late because traffic on 65 is bad. He said, oh, it's fine, take your time. And be sure and take some time to work on your soul. Your spouse may not have asked you. If you've got little kids like I do, I promise they didn't ask you. How is your soul? Is your soul being polluted and poisoned by anger today? Is your soul being clouded over by doubt? Is your soul being consumed with guilt over some unconfessed sin? What are you now giving in exchange for your soul? you sure you want to follow Jesus? Because if you follow Jesus, he's going to get down into your soul. He's going to get down into your soul. He's going to challenge you. He's going to, at times, rebuke you when you're wrong like he did for Peter. Jesus is going to talk plainly to you. Jesus will drop the plow and turn over rocks and dig up roots. Are you sure you want that? Because Jesus had no problem making people uncomfortable you sure you want to follow Jesus? The fourth challenge. Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? Because Jesus thinks about eternity. You see, all this comes together in verse number 38. As Jesus pushes the disciples ahead to the day when they will stand before God. Now, it's interesting what happens is he returns back to the language about the Son of Man. You see that? But here... He is talking about the Son of Man in glory. The Son of Man will receive that everlasting kingdom. He will receive eternal dominion. Jesus will reign until every one of His enemies becomes their footstool. But that will only happen after the cross and resurrection. But here Jesus goes there and He says, For whoever is ashamed of Me and of My words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of Him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father, and the holy angels. Jesus tells the disciples, if you are too ashamed to take up your cross and associate yourself with me, and if you're ashamed to deny yourself and follow me, then the day will come when I will be ashamed of you. And this really is what Jesus means when he talks about taking up the cross. He's talking about being identified publicly with him and everything that comes with that. We often use this phrase, you know, we're carrying our cross. We think it means like our our bad knees or something. It's like, oh, i got this arthritis, but it's just my cross to bear. No, you just got weak joints, all right? And you're old. That's all that is, okay? This is talking about consciously laying down everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, if you are too ashamed to do that now, then the day will come when I will be ashamed of you. Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? Because he's much more concerned about who you will be and where you will be a hundred years from now than he is just who you are today, and where you are today. Are you sure you want to follow Him because Jesus is playing the long game here? Are you sure you want to follow Him? Because Jesus is thinking about what you will be like on the day that you meet God, and whether or not on that day you will be associated with Him. Are you sure you want that? Because Jesus says, listen, it's not easy. You do live in an adulterous and sinful generation. This world's not made for this kind of relationship with God that Jesus calls us to. It's not going to be easy. But the one thing you don't want is Jesus being ashamed of you. Now, y'all, I've made my wife ashamed of me a time or three. In fact, I know her well enough to know that there's nothing that she hates or resents worse than for me to embarrass her in public. It's the worst possible thing I can do. I've shamed my parents before in serious Ways, I look forward to the day when I can really embarrass my kids in public. But I can't imagine Jesus ever being ashamed of me, can you? You know why? Because he's not ashamed of me. I can't imagine Jesus being ashamed of me because Jesus did deny himself. Because Jesus did take up a cross. Because Jesus did give up everything in exchange for my soul. And Jesus was not ashamed of me at Calvary. He was not ashamed to suffer and to die alone. He was not ashamed to have his enemy spit in his face. He was not ashamed to sweat and agonize great drops of blood. He was not ashamed to taste death for me. And y'all, if he was not ashamed to do all that for me, if he was not ashamed to deny himself and take up his cross to come after me, then I'm going to tell you that this is a man that I do want to follow. If that man said, I really love him at his worst... And I really want him, though he has nothing to give me. And I will go to a cross to love him because his soul is worth that much for me. And in church, I'm going to tell you that I do want to take up my cross and follow him. That I do want to deny myself and go wherever he leads me. That I do not want to be ashamed of this Savior. Why? Because Jesus only ever calls us to him after he has done this for us. You say, how could Jesus possibly give these demands on our life? Because Jesus has already walked this path for you. He's already done all of this. And he did it for you. How much easier is it now for us to do it for him? Because he's worth it. And he's worthy. And so today, I want to invite you to follow this man. And tell you that he's worth it. He's worth it. When the cross you have to carry gets so heavy you don't think you'll make it. He's worth it when you see Him take from you the things that you've loved your whole life. He is worth it when you have to lay down things that you have treasured in your heart for as long as you can remember. And He will be worth it on the day when you stand before Him in glory. And He says to you, I'm not ashamed of you. You are one of mine. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if you're looking for that day, then I want to tell you, come and follow Him. Because He'll be worth it then. And He's worth it now. Some of you today have never really followed Jesus. In fact, I would say that for those of you that haven't followed Jesus, maybe you're in a couple of different categories. Some of you have been in church like your whole life. All this is familiar to you. And yet really you've just been coming to church your whole life. You're not following Jesus. Today, I'm going to invite you to step out of that religious life and step into a relationship with Jesus. And say, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you lead me. Say, well, Brother Jesse, I've been baptized. Wonderful. A member of the church. Fantastic. I've prayed the prayer before. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you today to follow Jesus. I'm saying to you, follow Jesus from wherever you are right now. Others of you um, are here today and... You're not really following Jesus, and and it's all new to you. Like, you don't have any idea much about what we're talking about. You just know that there's something in you that's being unsettled. And there's something in you that's, that's kind of stirred up and maybe even mixed up a little bit. And you sense that Jesus is calling you today to leave your old life behind and take up a new life with Him. Can I tell you what I would do today if I was in your situation? What I would do is I would come to this altar when we have a song in just a moment, and I would tell God the truth. In fact, He already knows it, so why not? And I would say, Lord, if I'm you, I would say, Lord, I've made a mess of the last 38 years of my life trying to live it my way. And Lord, I know that I deserve nothing but your judgment and anger. But Lord, I believe that Jesus took that for me at the cross. And I believe that after He died, He came back to life. Lord, I don't understand a lot about the Bible, and I don't understand a lot about what it means to be a Christian, but I want to follow Him, and I want to receive from Jesus the gift of eternal life. And Jesus says to you that if you will confess your sins, He will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, I'll be happy to pray with you. I'll be happy to sit here with you as long as it takes for you to get that figured out. In fact, you can do it right where you are. Some of you may have just done it right there. You say, well, I just kind of did that, I want to follow Jesus. Come talk to me. Come talk to me, and I want to help you take your next steps in your relationship with Jesus. But as Brother Gary comes, there are also some of you that are here that are really complicated. All right? This is probably the majority of you here today. And you're really complicated because you are following Jesus, but you ain't going nowhere. What I mean is your relationship with God has stopped. And you know it stopped. And I hate to break it to you, but everybody around you knows it stopped too. And you don't have what you used to have, the passion you used to feel, the joy you used to have, the peace that you used to experience. That's all gone. And what you need to do today is you need to come to this altar. And you need to say, Lord, I just want to follow you again. I just want to follow you again and go wherever you lead me the invitation is for you to start right where you are with your heart in your seat and say Jesus from this point forward I want to follow you let's stand together today let me pray for us now Lord you tell us to take up our cross and follow you and Lord there's some that need to do that here today some need to pick up a cross that they've laid down for any number of reasons God I pray that you would now work in people's hearts and lives Lord, I have at this point done everything I can do. God, it's in your hands. It's in your hands. Do your work, I pray. And I ask it in Christ's name, who invites us to come.